city well known for popularizing the genre of grunge with bands such as Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Pearl Jam, and producing two of the biggest tech companies in the world, Microsoft and Amazon. And also blessing us with a coffee shop on every corner. Maybe a little less well known is the story of the city beneath the city. We're talking the Seattle Underground. Welcome to episode two of We're Talking with Paul and Grace. I'm Paul. I'm Grace. And here we are back in the closet again. Back. <laughs> <laughs> We're back in the closet. Back to record another episode. This time we put the kids to bed. Um, that way we have no background noise or um, anything like that. We kicked the dog out so he won't be whining at the door. But the closet still has the best acoustics um, for this. So we're sitting on the floor getting ready to talk a little bit about the Seattle Underground. I already want to go back again. Uh, I've said that a few times that that was probably one of the the most interesting, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit more, but one of the most interesting tours that we've ever done, because Grace and I, we we travel, not a lot, but when we do travel... We go to Seattle. We like to go to Seattle. It's uh, one of our favorite spots because, you know, coffee and music and museums. (laughs) A lot of history. And we enjoy finding... um, the fun and interesting museums is one of our favorite things to do. Coffee and museums are typically our, our yep, two favorites. Our find the good, find the best coffee shop, find the coolest museum nearby. Mm-hmm. And uh, on one of our fateful trips to Seattle, we we just we also like to walk. Yes. Um, just find a hotel that has like a parking garage, leave the car and walk as much as possible. Um, walks off all the carbs that we eat while we're on vacation because we we definitely eat a lot of carbs and with seattle falafel king you gotta walk it off oh yeah oh my word definitely highly recommend falafel king if you haven't had shawarma Mm. if you watched um avengers and remember tony stark talking about getting shawarma after this Mm -hmm. he was right go get you some shawarma definitely (laughs) because it's delicious but anyway side note sorry (laughs) i digress (laughs) We walk a lot, and yes. at one of our trips to Seattle, we <clears throat> decided to walk down to the historical Pioneer Square, which is the location of the basically the original uh, downtown Seattle. And in this um, walk that we took, we kind of stumbled upon, uh, as usual, we we're kind of looking for the nearest museums and stuff, this mm-hmm. uh, Bill Speedle's Underground Tour. And actually, I guess we had heard of the underground tour once before because somebody had mentioned it Caleb and, Mandy. and was that who it was yeah Caleb yeah. and Mandy on their honeymoon went to the underground tour okay so we but I'd kind of forgotten about it until we went yeah we kind of accidentally discovered it a second yeah. time I guess anyway so it's it's this really cool tour highly recommended um, but that's what we're gonna be talking about today we're gonna be it was so interesting to us that we wanted to share our experiences and, and talk a little bit about the history of Seattle yes how it was founded how there came to be a city beneath the city. And it's a story like we teased in the on our Facebook post earlier. It's full of some curious <laughs> things. Full of surprises. <laughs> interesting Exploding things Exploding surprises. So well, let's jump right in. So the history of Seattle, I guess we, to, to get into the story of the underground, we kind of have to rewind a little bit and go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this... A uh, party of explorers called the Denny Party, led by uh, two of the main people uh, among the settlers was Arthur Denny and David S. Maynard, also known as Doc Maynard. 
Mm-hmm. I remember them talking about him in the Seattle Underground yes. tour. He was quite the character, yeah. this Doc Maynard. Uh, he must have been with the nickname Doc. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say anywhere that he was an actual doctor. It doesn't seem like people who have the nickname Doc are very often actually doctors. <laughs> so anyway, this Denny party, they're traveling along the Oregon Trail looking for a place to settle. And and uh, they decided that Portland, Portland was already a, a settled town at the time. Um, and was, too big. Was Isn't too big funny? for them. Yeah, there's too many people there. Yeah. So they decided to find uh, a different place. And uh, where they settled was what is now known, the first place they went to, if you know Seattle at all, West Seattle which is kind of across the water from the main downtown, uh, Alki Point. Remember, we went mm-hmm. there last time. We went to Alki Beach. Yes. Rode, we uh, did the little green line bikes and stuff. Lots of fun. Oh, there's a blast. It's beautiful over there. It's gorgeous. So they first arrived at Alki Point, um, like we said, which is now known as West Seattle, uh, before moving over to the more hospitable area a few miles away on the eastern coast of the Sound, now known as the Pioneer Square. Yes. If you've been to Seattle, Pioneer Square is really cool. But that's where they ended up settling for good. Um, (laughs) Being pioneers uh, coming from regions that were landlocked. Right. They had no clue. Here's the first (laughs) part of the puzzle that caused uh, all the things that happened. was Some issues. They (laughs) had no idea... That there was a such thing as high tide and low tide. Yes. At one point, the women even left, they left their supplies on the shore. Right. Their food. <laughs> their food and stuff and went up to like set up their camp and stuff and came back to the high tide had and swept nothing. away their supplies. Yep. All of their stuff. So like any woman, they wanted to go home. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted everybody to pack up, forget it, let's go back. To where we came from. But they didn't. No. The first winter came. So the high high and low tides was only the first of many hurdles. Obviously, as uh, you know, if anybody who's learned anything about the Oregon Trail and, and dying of dysentery. Yep. <laughs> there's many challenges that come to being a pioneer in, in those times. And this was in uh, November 13th, 1851. Uh, the Denny Party officially settled right there in the area that's now known as Pioneer Square. And obviously in the area you and I know, especially because your family yeah. and my family both come from loggers. Right. Logger logging families. Because mm-hmm. um, logging was a big trade in yeah. Washington because, well... Well, when you discover it, there's there were a lot more trees back then than there are now. There are a lot of trees. Yeah. So being that there were a ton of trees in this area they're settling... Um, they decided to make use of the trees. Yes, <laughs> and made everything, everything out of wood. Everything. So the entire city, uh, they begin to construct this city and build these businesses and build this the these kind of thirty, thirty uh, ish square blocks of their downtown um, city with the, with the most timber. abundant commodity that they had, right. which was timber, and including, including the piping. Yeah, that's the... Including the piping. (laughs) So, right about that, exactly, right about that time (laughs) uh, that they were um, building their city, there was this new technology taking place in the eastern uh, coast of the United States Mm -hmm. called a water closet. Yes, it's so fancy. (laughs) 
So they decided to build water Let's closets, and they built this plumbing system, all made of wood. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, and of course, being that the this town that they just built, again, not knowing that number one, Seattle's the, one of the most rainy spots in yes. this country, but also high and low tide right coming in and out so when you're literally right there on the shore you know yeah at a lot sea of level. rain yes right at sea level so there's a ton of rain high low tide so already a combination for some issues exactly so if the ground wasn't soggy from the high tide it right. was soggy from the rain yes so needless to say there was mud there mm-hmm. was all kinds of stuff and um, it was funny. I saw a quote. <laughs> Where was that? They talked about how um, Seattle was one of the, the first um, places to have a, when they talked about the plumbing, that they were really proud of, of the, this plumbing. They said, you know, Seattle had this new plumbing system that ran to the ocean. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so this this plumbing system ran to the ocean, and they, they were so proud of their, their plumbing system. So revolutionary. They, but, they, <laughs> but it was not a one-way river. <laughs> Again. <laughs> because subsequently, oh, every time the high tide came in, <laughs> when people would go to flush their toilets, they would... They would end up with their toilets erupting with seawater and sewage flowing from their homes into the streets, flowing down the muddy streets of Seattle. <laughs> so because of this mud and this this water and this, this river of sewage and rain, um, you know, not only are their buildings all, all wood, but they began to um, erect like... Uh, boardwalks essentially yeah going from one building to the next so you didn't have to walk on walk the mud all the time in the nasty um <laughs> so fast forward a little bit um to june 6th of 1889 mm-hmm. and seattle's having one of the driest summers it happens every once in a while ever what sometimes a- the rain stops yeah, which which one is it? I always forget. Is it El Nino or El Nina? Don't we have this conversation at least once every couple of months, and we still haven't <laughs> figured it out. I can't remember which we one's need to go the back, hotter one. We need to go back to school. <laughs> El Nino. I feel like somebody it's... somebody write in the comments which one is hotter, El Nino or El Nina. Which we're gonna one's, do we're gonna do a one's poll. Warm, That's our poll. Which one's cold? I, I can't remember. I want to say that El Nino is the hot one. So they're having one of those Spanish whatever summers. <laughs> It's the, one of the driest <laughs> summers they've had. You know, they're typically, Seattle has all this rain, but they have a dry it's summer. An, it's an L hot summer. <laughs> mm-hmm. L something. So Victor Claremont, he's this woodworker in town. Yeah. And he has this shop. And a, uh, actually, from my heritage, Swedish uh, apprentice he has named John Back. He's making this, um, for those of you who don't know, um, back then, especially glue was mostly made of animal parts. Right. And so he's got this big cauldron in the basement of their woodworking shop making right. glue. Literally of, a ton out of, out of animal glue. stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, out of a little bit of absent mindedness, leaves it unattended and it boils over. <sighs> yes. And he comes back to find a fire 
fully blazing. A d- yes, a, a big one. And if you know anything about grease fires. Don't throw water on them. What does he do? He threw water on it. He him. threw water on it. Mm-hmm. Which subsequently. Again, absent minded <laughs> young man that he was. He throws water on the fire. Bless his heart. And it explodes. And on top of this, as we just said, everything is made of wood. And because mm-hmm. of everything made of wood, like these boardwalks that we talked about before that connected all the buildings. Right. And the piping. It gave the fire a way to travel from yes. one building to the next yes. to the next. Right. Mm-hmm. And guess, guess there was also another problem. Um, there were a lot of saloons. <laughs> there were a lot of uh, alcoholic. What, what was it? He literally was sandwiched, wasn't he? In between like uh-huh. a liquor store and a saloon yeah, or two a, saloons or something distillery. like that. The distillery, that's what it was. With barrels. With barrels. Full of. Of flammable liquid. Whiskey. <laughs> of the whiskey. So across these boardwalks travels the fire yeah. to a distillery with barrels full of whiskey. Yeah. Causing a full-on explosion. Full, yeah. And one lead thing needs to leads to another. And the entire downtown 30 plus blocks is on fire immediately and this this story is so uh, it's so crazy because when we were doing the underground tour it it's like they were talking about the, pretty much everything that you can imagine to go wrong at this point mm-hmm. went wrong yeah because not only did he <laughs> the cauldron boil over mm-hmm. he threw water on threw the water fire on causing it to explode even further everything's made of wood Mm -hmm. there's boardwalks connecting every building right causing the fire to spread Mm -hmm. (laughs) the erupts in the distillery exploding the whiskey barrels setting up more buildings on fire right at this point in time the police or the fire chief Mm -hmm. is out of town right and the only the fire department's all volunteer except for this one man who has the expertise is gone he just tried to go on vacation (laughs) poor guy Why'd you go on vacation, chief? <laughs> and what? Uh, once again, everything's made of wood, including the water pipes. Oh yeah, <laughs> including the water. Pipes. So they hook up their water hoses to spray out the fire. Guess There's what? no water pressure. No water because the water pipes are on fire. They're done. They're toast. <laughs> They're literally burnt to a crisp. Oh my word! What it was just ridiculous. So then, of course, while they're like, while well, we're right next to the ocean. So they run, run down, run down to get that to yeah. the seashore to drop their, try and get some water from the seashore. The tide is out. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so they run to the seashore. The tide There's is no out. Water. There's no water. So within this one night, literally, over, literally overnight, yeah, in a matter of hours, the entire thirty-three square blocks of downtown. Seattle burns to the ground. There is nothing left over. Miraculously, though, Mm -hmm. at least according to the the tour, Mm -hmm. they said that I don't think it can be 100% confirmed, but apparently nobody died. Nobody died. Nobody perished in the fire, which was a miracle. Seriously. The 33 square blocks burns Mm -hmm. down and not a single person died. That was that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So out of the, all the bad luck that they had, it, at, least, at least they didn't have have that to deal with as well. At least nobody died. Yeah. 
Um, oh, there was one fact that I, I wanted to share. Forgive me for backtracking a little bit. But that when they first settled, they wanted to call it New York Alki was the original oh, yeah. city name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next city name was that Doc Maynard character. Uh-huh. He wanted to call it uh, Pioneer Square actually was because at one point the Arthur Denny got sick. Mm-hmm. And he didn't particular care for Doc Maynard, which he must have actually been a doctor because he nursed him back to health. Oh, interesting. With a mix of like um, opium and water or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay. And uh, while he was nursing him back to health, he actually bought this land off of Arthur Denny. Nice. It belonged to his brother mm-hmm. and called it Maynard Town. Oh, was the original so, okay. Pioneer so Square. you've got Maynard Town, New York Alki, then Al- Maynard Town. Al-Kai. And then they eventually settled on the name that they named after a, uh, an actually a Native American chief, mm-hmm. uh, Seattle. I don't know how to pronounce that in the actual native tongue. So let's not try. But anyway, that's where the name of Seattle came from, was actually a, a friendly um, Native American chief that they had uh, dealings with. Um, but anyway, back to the story. So now here we are, 33 blocks all burned down. Nothing. Miraculously, no casualties. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is where it gets interesting. So now we're getting into the underground part here. Right. So they had already decided, for one, here's 600 business owners, right? Mm-hmm. Just out of luck. Their businesses are burned down. Um, they, the That's first, devastating. Yeah, obviously. That, that would just be nuts. But the first thing they decide, obviously, in their business meeting is... We will not build in wood again. Yeah. <laughs> the first first decision. A shock. Build with wood, uh, brick and stone. That's the first choice. So this will never happen again. But they also decided that they wanted to raise the city up right. above sea level. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons. Good idea. Reasons. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Exactly. Um, to combat the tide coming in and out and mm-hmm. the backwards flow the, of sewage. and I think they were sick of the exploding toilets. No, no more exploding <laughs> toilets. Raise that city. Mm-hmm. Tired of walking in sewage. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so they, they can come up with this plan um, starting about at the water, mm-hmm. at the shore. They're going to start at 10 feet and work all the way up to about uh, what was it, 35 feet? I feel like it was. Yes, yeah, 10 feet to 35 feet at the tallest. Mm-hmm. And slowly... Um, Do that incline. The slope. incline up to 35 feet away from the water. That way all the water would begin to actually run down to the ocean instead right. of into the town. Into the town, right. Um, but because they had just lost all their businesses, lost all their income, this project was going to be very costly mm-hmm. and take... And take some time. Yeah, upwards of seven to ten years. Right, and for anybody that has a business, you can't wait around that long. Mm-mm. You gotta, you gotta start immediately. So, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we have six hundred business owners that are eager to get back and get back to, to work. Get back to work. So, they begin rebuilding. Right. With their brick and stone. Not Build wood. this city. Build the city on brick and stone. Okay. <laughs> so they start building with the with the thought that obviously they, they know that the storefronts that they're building aren't gonna be the storefronts. Right. Because it's it's gonna be raised, right? Right. So the the the, the first storefronts they built are pretty 
um, plain. Pretty basic, yeah. Because they, they're not getting too fancy because they know the real city is going to be the, the second story, mm-hmm. essentially. Right. So they get started building. They're like, we're not waiting around seven to ten years, obviously. we got to get back to work. So they start mm-hmm. building um, and the plan in the city begins their plan, mm-hmm. which begins with building 10 to 35 foot walls down the middle of the streets. Right. And closing all the businesses so right. they can start filling in with dirt. All of the dirt and stuff, right. And obviously this work brings in a lot of men, mm-hmm. uh, brings in a lot of uh, men to do the a work. A lot of workers. So what, what essentially happens now is now you have this, this city street, if you can picture this, um, walking down the street and to your left and right are anywhere from 10 to 35 foot drops Just drops with ladders going down to the storefronts mm-hmm. that are down below mm-hmm. on the original sea level. Right. And um, with no signs or warnings. No. No barriers or barricades. No, yeah, no handrails, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think there were just like these <laughs> pop-up signs to let you know what was down below. Like, oh, this is this is this such and such store. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, down look down, you'll see uh Waldorf's or whatever. And uh no street lights, oh, I'm sure. Goodness. <laughs> so of course, needless to say, there were some accidents. And <laughs> <laughs> There were more people that died from these city streets falling being raised, the, falling off the, the edges. <laughs> of course, all your, your sleepy residents and drunks mm-hmm. began to f- topple off these 10 to 35 foot walls. Yes. And dying. Yes. And here, here's a funny, <laughs> funny thing about this is now, because the city doesn't want to really take um, responsibility for these deaths. Right. They start, the coroner starts labeling the deaths as involuntary suicide. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, if you you walk out your front door, (laughs) you need help. Oh my goodness. So after so many involuntary suicides, (laughs) the city begins to think, okay, this is not a great idea. We need to cover up these... (laughs) these drops and so they begin to put in sidewalks right Mm -hmm. and uh like they said in the underground tour creating the first indoor mall right because once you crawl once you crawl down in there you're enclosed with a ceiling right and lighting Mm -hmm. and all your storefronts are right inside yeah which is pretty cool until you have your arms full of the goodies that you buy and then you've got to climb up the ladder to go home. There were, yeah, they said there were a lot of groceries and goods dropped from 35 feet. I'd be so mad. <laughs> imagine oh. just, just getting up a 35-foot ladder and then oh. accidentally dropping, like, you your, know, your bag of oranges to treat your scurvy. And now you got to climb you... all the way back down. <laughs> you got to climb back what down. What about that involuntary suicide? <laughs> How many people dropped their groceries and just jumped off because they were... I quit! I'm done! <laughs> I'm just jumping off. I'm so sick of it. <laughs> uh, and actually, um, if you walk through Pioneer Square, you may have noticed um, the little purple squares mm-hmm. inlaid on the sidewalk. Those are actually skylights. Yes. That let light down into um, the underground. The underground. Uh, storefronts. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they didn't start off purple, but it was just a over time. reaction of the UV light over time. And it was really cool seeing those up top because mm-hmm. we had seen those lots of times walking yeah. around Seattle. I just thought it was Never a part of the decoration. Of I didn't think of it yeah, more serving like, a purpose. More like an art. Exactly. You know, Because it's Seattle. It's artistic. Aesthetic mm-hmm. mosaic or something. And then you get underground and you look up. And there's those purple squares yeah. above your head. And it does a pretty light decent job. Down. It really did, yeah. Of of lighting um, the pathway. And it was actually really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, they, uh, the underground was eventually um, abandoned um, because um, they start building on top now. Now mm-hmm. it's all enclosed. Um, and, uh, that what actually, what was pretty interesting that they talked about was that rats. Oh yeah. Rats begin to come in. Right. When the fire burned down the city, it, it actually took care of a lot of their, um, vermin problem. Right. But. Over time. Over you know, time. Cause they, they, they were a, a port city. So a lot of shipments you know, are coming in and out. Yes. And specifically from San Francisco, right? A lot of rats made their way mm-hmm. into the city. And rats—they're gross. They've got germs. They've got diseases. So it brought some problems. Mm-hmm. Bubonic plague, yep. in particular. Yep. So when a few people started dying of bubonic plague, they um, began to abandon the underground, mm-hmm. and um, those that could afford it um, just moved all their business up to the top, built on top. To the second slash main level and uh, and actually a lot of the people um couldn't really afford uh to move all their their safes and their cash registers right. and all their supplies so a lot of that stuff actually stayed, stayed down, down there, there. Mm-hmm. so when you walk around down there, there's a ton of the original stuff just left it's a lot of fun to like see. storefronts mm-hmm. cash cash registers safes mm-hmm. like there's like full do you remember the saloon with the counter yeah. and and the and the did it still have its glass in it? Uh-huh. Yeah. There was like furniture. There's and, furniture, and, yeah. Uh, it's, it was really interesting, all it's the stuff that fun. got left down there. Um, so now, obviously, people are moving up to the top. And being that um, the, the all the work that was being done on, in Seattle brought a lot of men right. to do all this work. Mm-hmm. So it gets to a point where there's like 10 men to one woman. Right. <laughs> Which obviously left uh, a big uh, opportunity, we'll say, for for those that are looking to make money off of lonely men. Yeah, one they they got a little creative. Yeah, one woman in particular was a woman named Lou Graham. Right. Um, and she had a hotel, and she was actually one of the few, um, because of making money off of these lonely men who are 10 men to one woman, Mm -hmm. she was able to afford to build an even larger brick hotel on top of her old one. Right. Compared to most people who were building very modest establishments. Um, But not Lou Graham. Not Lou Graham. Not Lou Graham. Lou Graham had the money. Yep. (laughs) Money was rolling in. (laughs) And because of, obviously because of the... uh, um, you know, laws and things at the time, the, her women workers were classified as uh, seamstresses. Right. And she put them on the books as doing so a little sewing task, doing, put, yes. sewing buttons back on sewing, coats. Oh and, <laughs> <Sewing> bu- <laughs> um, and she 
She even did her taxes. Yeah. There's a reason we're telling you about this, mm-hmm. Lou Graham, because she played actually a very large part. Very large part. In in the rebuilding of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously with, with all those men there and... Um, she and the filled her establishment with where actually very, she tried to make it, I mean, as classy as paid seamstresses um, can be. Yeah. <laughs> they were all supposed to, her women were all expected to be able to have skills such as singing. Right. Playing instruments. They had to read, they had to know how to read and they had to, to have a certain, le- like a certain level of education. She wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that they, um, were, you know, smart, well-read, that they could sing, and, you know, she took care of her seamstresses. So she, needless to say, she attracted a lot of very high society, wealthy people, Mm -hmm. and she very quickly became the wealthiest person in Seattle. Yes. And actually, interestingly enough, she held the title of the wealthiest person in Seattle until the 1990s when... When? The founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates, took that title. So Bill Gates, um, good for him, but that's that's a long time yeah. for a Lou Graham to hold, hold a title for basically a hundred years. Yeah, she held the title of richest person. It's that's pretty crazy. So she had these uh, quote unquote seamstresses, um, literally over twenty five hundred um, classified Employees. as garment workers. Um, That's a lot of yeah. people. <laughs> so the, the taxes that they collected from her mm-hmm. business accounted for 87% of Seattle's operating budget. Mm-hmm. And Thank you, Lou Graham. Yeah, Lou Graham. <laughs> Seattle was built on her uh, okay. business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so and she also became very well known because um, mm-hmm. it was even in... Um, uh, times when uh, business owners were having a hard time moving their businesses up to the the top, the, right? Up uh, back to the you know the the main. Mm-hmm. What am I trying to say? The the second slash main level. Yeah, second right. Seattle. Yeah. Up on top, when they were if they had trouble affording to do that, she would offer loans and stuff. loans, mm-hmm. and many many of the business owners in town begin to come to her for loans. Instead of a bank. Instead of the bank. She Mm -hmm. would offer maybe a little slightly higher interest and stuff, but she was a lot less um, selective. She was very willing to loan money. Mm -hmm. So many, many, many of the businesses ended up getting loans through uh, Lou Graham. And and what was pretty cool about this, even though it was um, maybe not the most upstanding of businesses, (laughs) it did uh, cause something pretty cool because women played such a um large role in mm-hmm. the rebuilding of seattle because of the money that they were bringing in right. seattle was actually one of the very first cities in america to mm-hmm. grant women suffrage the right to vote right in 1854 like decades before it was yeah a nationwide thing yeah mm-hmm. now obviously a few years down the road it got revoked again and then right. wasn't reinstated until like the nationwide right women's suffrage movement but at least they were, they were well on their way. Yeah, that was that was a pretty cool mm-hmm. outcome of of that. Um, now we'll fast forward um, just a little bit further, and one of the the next things that happened to Seattle, which increased um, 
more money more money in in the seattle to grow the way it did was in 1896 we uh they in, had the klondike the klondike gold rush right and through a pretty brilliant um marketing scheme mm-hmm. of the newspaper yes in seattle they spent their own money and sent advertisements all over the country right with beautiful posters like this beautiful advertisement that um what did he call it? The gateway to, let me remember this. I, I think it was gateway to Alaska and the Orient is what it said, right? So they called it, um, in their advertisements, they, they said, called Seattle, declared Seattle as the gateway to the gold fields. That's right. So, and it was pretty interesting because this was another museum actually we went to, mm-hmm. which was the museum in, that's in Pioneer Square. Yes. Uh, that we talked basically was all about the Klondike Gold mm-hmm. Rush. That was a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. And they said this this uh, advertisement was extremely successful, mm-hmm. and that somewhere I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was somewhere upwards of like eighty percent. Yeah. Of all the miners that wanted their you know wanted to chase the dream of becoming wealthy. They went right through Seattle. Right through Seattle. That was their Brilliant. their final stop where they stocked up on all of the things that they felt like they needed before they continued on. Um, so, yeah, it worked out. Yeah. So, obviously, with this huge influx of, of miners coming and buying all their supplies mm-hmm. in Seattle, their economy just went crazy. Right. And the city, like, doubled in population. And during this time, of course, like we talked about the rats down in the underground at this time, they actually condemned mm-hmm. the underground, which didn't exactly, there's a difference between condemning it and, and actually closing it. Because as we found out in the tour, just because they condemned it didn't mean that the action stopped underground. Right, <laughs> right. Because in 1907, when they condemned the underground, it basically just became Seattle's underbelly. Right. The red light district where right. um, a lot of the speakeasies mm-hmm. began to open and opium dens. Right. And casinos began to open up underground. And, and I think this is a good spot right here to interject and say, um, if you want to take if if you go and um, experience the underground tour, it's a lot of fun. And then when you're done with that one, you need to also go to the spooked underground tour because they yeah, talk about really the opium too. dens mm-hmm. and they talk about the casinos and stuff a, a little a little more in detail. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's when that stuff started to open up and yeah. So it was. It was pretty interesting that um, because of this, oh, you know, the Seattle's underbelly literally being in the underbelly, underbelly. of Seattle, <laughs> <laughs> it gave Seattle this impression of in the time of now being this kind of really clean and yeah, and uh, you know, upstanding city with right. no crime, no and, crime, no problems, no no rats, <laughs> no dirty. When all reality, all that was just happening. It was hiding. Yeah. yeah. And even during, uh, like the Great Depression, right? Seattle had very little evidence of any even like homeless people, right? 
Um, because they're again, all hanging out. They're down, all hanging out on the ground. Below. Um, so the underground eventually actually got shut down. You right. Know, when they found out all the... That um, there was a city underneath a city still going. <laughs> going on... Still thriving. Unsavory, illegal yes. activities. Uh, eventually they did have it... Um, officially closed shut down and condemned mm-hmm. and had it closed off and, and nobody had ever really um, given it a second thought for years it and was years. just forgotten mm-hmm. um, it wasn't until and actually we talked about the uh, Bill Speedle's underground mm-hmm. tour um, Bill Speedle he was kind of a historian um, writer right <clears throat> and he was the one it started find kind of unsurfacing all these, um, you know, stories and, and, uh, little bits and pieces of the Seattle underground and decided, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that people should really know about. This is super interesting. Yeah. Let's, let's bring it back into the light. And, uh, so he wrote an article about it, right? Mm-hmm. So he writes an article into the newspaper, mm-hmm. um, telling people about the underground and how he thinks it should be, uh, turned into some sort of museum or a tour or, museum. or something. Mm-hmm. And he got 300 people mm-hmm. wrote him letters. And they weren't just like, oh, yeah, that would be interesting. They were almost demanding it. Like, yes, we need mm-hmm. to know more about this. We need. And they were willing to pay right then and yeah. there. I will pay to see this. They were really excited. Yeah. He said they were um, called like literally it wasn't just like, oh, write, write one letter once and be like, Oh yeah, I'd be interested, and then never hear from. He was like getting phone calls and letters every single day. Yeah, and so that prompted him to go to the city, and he brought all these letters and yeah. and everything, and they gave him the the green light, and he, I think the first day that they opened up kind of a preliminary uh, tour, they got like five hundred people. That's amazing. That showed up or something like that. I think you're right. And uh, and it just took off from there. Mm-hmm. And they, they hired, um, we've taken the tour. Like we, I think we said that already. It's very highly recommended. It's very Definitely. fun, very funny, um, because they, they went about it in such an interesting way that they, they actually hired, um, like stage actors mm-hmm. and stuff <laughs> and kind of made almost like a stand up bit out of a yes. lot of the stuff. So there's a lot of jokes, a lot of interesting facts, mm-hmm. um, but uh, if you, again... It's 90 minutes of of funny, interesting, shocking, um, underground history. It's it's a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. Um, check out, yeah. If you want to know more about the Seattle Underground, I definitely recommend doing that. If you can make it to Seattle, if you live close, hit up Bill Speedle's Underground Tour. It, it wasn't that expensive. I can't remember exactly how much it was, but I remember it not being too bad. It was worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of fun. If you enjoy historical things, museums, that sort of thing, which mm-hmm. we do very much. And even if you have been and you live in Seattle, just go again for us because we want to We want to go. So just do it on our behalf. We want to live through you. <laughs> Take, Take pictures. pictures. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, and just walk around Pioneer Square. The whole... Yeah. <clears throat> in, in, in the daylight. The whole experience was... was <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Once it, dark. Once dark time happens. Dark time. 
Riley, once the dark time <laughs> starts to come around. Maybe, it, uh, maybe only it starts go to get a little sketchy if you're in the guided tour of the spooky underground yeah. where you're in with the group where it's safer. Let's just say the homeless people don't hang out underground anymore. No, they're <laughs> they're on the streets, but you know uh, that's a part of Seattle, and we love it. But anyway, if you do want to learn more about the Seattle Underground, uh, we found uh, actually if you go to um, the undergroundtour.com, that's the website of Bell Speedle's Underground Tour, um, and also uh, the National Park Service um, has a website, the nps.gov, talks a little bit about a short history of Seattle and also talks about what we touched on with the um, Klondike Gold Rush. So go check out those websites and just go visit Seattle. It's a fun place. Yeah, definitely. A lot definitely. of fun stuff to do, a lot of good food. A lot of amazing food. And there is actually a lot of history that we left out that we did not even get a chance to talk about, like the Smith Tower. Um, that's a big, uh, that's something that we went to as well. So definitely do some research. Go visit Seattle as soon as uh, we're not quarantined anymore. And... Go and experience some fun stuff. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And I hope that you enjoyed learning a little bit about the Seattle Underground Tour. We definitely enjoyed talking about it and reliving it. And we already want to go back again. Um, On this section, we are going to play a little game. And uh, it's going to be a toughie for you, Paul. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, would you rather... We're going to be talking about uh, some some traveling would you rather. So, would you rather miss your flight or lose your luggage? Mm. Okay. I think I already have an answer to this one because I have missed flights before. I was, speaking of Seattle, I was stuck in Seattle for like seven hours once because I missed my flight. And I can tell you, I think I would rather lose my luggage than sit in a stupid airport for hours on end I mean, if you're going to be stuck in an airport, (laughs) at least it's Seattle. But, yeah. That was miserable. You could could go to Walmart and get clothes and toothbrushes. And I've also lost my luggage before, so... (sighs) And that wasn't as bad. They called me a few hours later and they had it. So. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Would you rather spend the night in a luxury hotel with a stranger or in a dodgy hostel with your best friend, Talk- a.k.a. me? Uh, <laughs> dodgy hostel. <laughs> Actually, I would try that. Luxury hotel with a stranger? No, I-, I would try the dodgy <laughs> hostel with you. No, I'm not okay. going. That's how you get murdered. Dodgy hostel? No, well, sometimes, you probably. You can get murdered in dodgy Yeah, hostel. you can. Hey, I've stayed in a, it wasn't a luxury hotel, but it was a with nice a hotel stranger? with a stranger, yeah. Stop it. Go Sherwin-Williams, when I had to go to management training, they they put us with roommates, with a guy that I'd never met before in my life. That... He turned out to be a pretty cool guy. We're still friends on Facebook. Okay, well, that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, hostel, with you, for sure. Okay. <laughs> so, if we get murdered, we get murdered together. Yeah, at least it's together. Okay. Um, would you rather be left in the bush on a safari or be left in the ocean on a scuba diving trip? Oh. Isn't that terrifying? So basically, do you want to risk 
drowning or getting eaten by a shark or get eaten by a lion? I, I think I'd have to go. I'm a pretty strong swimmer, but I would go with the bush because I mean, if you get left in the ocean, like you're toast. You're toast. You're you're not coming back you can, from that. You can only swim for so long before you're tired. But at least in the like on a safari, I have a chance. I can I can <laughs> find my way back to civilization. Mm. And not to mention, have you ever swam in the, the, the deep part of the ocean? That's kind of freaky. Imagine um, what no. when the world is beneath your feet. That really hurt my stomach. <laughs> just thinking about that. <laughs> okay. Who knows what's down there? I uh, moving on. I can't do that. So, okay. Would you rather sit next to a chatterbox on a plane, your favorite? No. Or, I already choose the other one, no, whatever it is. No. I, I or, hate sitting next to chatterboxes on a plane. Or a crying baby. I'll take the crying baby any day. I would probably try holding the crying baby and Honestly, try to soothe. I've literally... Okay. <laughs> you guys would think I'm such a jerk. Because you are. <laughs> My go-to, I don't. I haven't flown in years because we have four kids and who can afford to fly? Right. But my go-to thing was the second I sat down, I threw my earbuds in mm-hmm. and ignored everybody. There was one time I had this lady sit next to me that caught me and was talking my ear off <laughs> before I could get my earbuds in. Oh. And I noticed the uh, exit row was left empty. Mm-hmm. I remember the story. And I asked, <laughs> I asked the stewardess if I could move to the exit row. <laughs> And I was like, oh, hey, it was nice talking to you, but I'm going to go sit in this row. There's <laughs> more leg room. <laughs> oh, you're the worst. Oh. You know what's funny, though, about I'll that? I'll take the crying baby. Guess what? When I'm old, I will probably be that chatterbox lady. Mm. Will you want to sit by me? Yeah, I'll just put, you my, hesitated. I'll just put my earbuds in. You. <laughs> All right. Okay, my last one. So, would you rather never suffer jet lag or never gain holiday weight? Holiday weight. <laughs> yep, like no. I never never really experienced jet lag anyway, so. I don't I don't think I don't think jet lag is a bad thing. I like sleep. I like taking naps. Yeah, I don't jet lag has never really affected me. But the holiday Holiday weight. Stinks. Holiday weight or vacation weight? Your vacation weight? That's yeah. a bummer. <laughs> We typically come back from vacation weighing. Even with all of the walking that we do. Oh yeah. Even with all the walking, (laughs) it's not enough to to combat the falafel king. It helps, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make it better. All right. Well that's all the questions that I have for you, Paul. Thanks for playing my game. Awesome. Thanks again for listening, guys. If you like this, give it a thumbs up, leave us a comment, and we'll come back at you with another episode soon.